fellow supermom, I'm glad you're here. This is the special needs supermom podcast. The glass of wine for your mind. Your tribe where you can relax, unwind and get stronger and more confident about your superpowers. I'm Nadine Villeur, your host, supermom of an autistic wonderboy and a supergirl battling juvenile arthritis. All while being a military spouse and international entrepreneur. Enjoy your glass of wine. Hi, fellow supermom. I'm glad you're here. This episode is called When You Don't See the Signs. The story of Wonder Boy and Supergirl. You often hear people say they knew something was wrong from the early stages on. And how they had to fight the system and often family too to get a diagnosis and get help. Listener Melody asked how this was for us. If we had early signs, if we had to fight the system or not. Uh, how did we find out? And I realized, yes, I often talk about uh, my Wonder Boy or Supergirl uh, in my episodes. But we never uh, shared our story. So... Here it is. In our case, it was quite the opposite. We saw a wonder boy that looked just like his parents. He had a lot of fantasy, uh, like his mom. He was only interested in playing with one thing. And uh, we had a very stubborn, active little girl, too eager to crawl. Uh, She went straight from sitting down to walking. This is the story of Wonder Boy and Supergirl. How we found out the acceptance, the guidance, the cultural differences because we lived abroad with our kids, uh, making choices and where we are now. So our story kind of starts around 2011. Our kids were five and seven at the time and we already had about two years of of troubles with our son and that started when uh, he went to kindergarten we had a fantastic little wonder boy at home and we had no problems there were no temper tantrums Uh, yes he had kind of a fantasy language but he talked a lot and we were like you know some kids are early in this some kids are a little bit later in that so he's fine and like I said We recognized a lot of ourselves in him. So he only loved to play with his Legos and was not interested in other stuff. But, you know, if you look at yourself as an adult, we don't have that many hobbies. So we were like, well, we we really don't see the problem. So he started kindergarten and quite soon we were asked to come in because they noticed a problem with Pepin. You know, in the Netherlands, they start kindergarten each morning, sitting in a circle, and everybody can, you know, share a story. And apparently, Pepin wasn't really interested in that part. And uh, he wiggled on his chair, and he had a hard time focusing on, you know, those 24 other kids telling the story before him. So he would not sit still, not sit down, move around. And to be honest, my reaction was like, well, are you interested in hearing 24 other stories before it's your turn? You know, 
we didn't really saw, see the problem. Uh, then we got a comment that he didn't like to draw. Well, not every kid likes to draw, we thought. And at home he had the most wonderful fantasy drawings. He made submarines with slides and everything. And we were like, yeah, well, he does like drawing. But, you know, if he gets a choice, he will play with his Lego. And if he doesn't want to draw a circle, well, why would he if he can draw a submarine? And there were these assignments that, you know, um, you have a picture and in a little uh, part where there are only circles, everything has to be blue. And when there is a square, um, everything has to be red. And he refused to do it. So he draw little blue circles where he should have just made blue and where the little square was and he was supposed to uh, color it red. He made little red squares and we actually thought it was brilliant. But the troubles continued and we knew he had a lot of fantasy. We also knew he was really sensitive. So I think the first book I picked up was about high sensitive kids and when I read it I recognized so much of myself, my mom, uh, one of my brothers so I thought you know that's it and he also mentioned in school that maybe you know when he goes to first grade and kindergarten is two years in the Netherlands you start at four and then you have two years of kindergarten then uh, you go to first grade uh, when you're around six and they thought he was probably not challenged enough but the moment he went uh, to first grade he refused to do all his assignments he only would do three out of the ten uh, math assignments uh, and the teacher saw a huge problem still we didn't see an issue because we recognized the stories of my husband's who would only do a few assignments. And then if he figured it out, he was like, well, I'm bored now. I'm not going to do the rest. Well, we found that out later. Of course, when he was six or 10, <laughs> my husband didn't say to the teacher, you know, I'm really bored now. But he would say, well, I get it. I don't see the point anymore. Uh, and that was, of course, not accepted as an answer. But we did know that our son was miserable he felt misunderstood. So we went to therapy and she also said, you know, he's really intelligent and really social, really sweet, maybe a little bit too sweet, too nice. By the age of five or six, they already recognized he wanted everything had to be perfect for him. He had to do everything perfect the first try. And they also noticed he had low self-esteem five or six years old uh, and that's of course heartbreaking but what I said uh, we recognized ourselves in our kids so we still didn't see any issue but we saw the problem of him going to um, uh, after school care he had a hard time handling that and when he came home he just needed a quiet time he didn't want to play he didn't want to meet with friends he just needed to unwind but still, at home, we had a perfect boy. We had no problems whatsoever. That kind of changed when we went to the States. So we went to the States. Uh, we moved. We were uh, 
Yeah, how do you say it? Placed in Kansas. Uh, we were based, uh, we were going to Fort Leavenworth uh, for my husband's uh, work. And uh, we were going to be stationed there for two years. And we went there, went to the uh, regular um, elementary school saying, you know, just so that you know that we know that we have a really sweet, really smart uh, little boy that is a perfectionist, has low self-esteem, and we're working with a therapist in the Netherlands, but we think there's something more, but we just don't know what. And you can say a lot about, you know, the benefits of healthcare uh, in one country or the other. But in America, there was a school nurse, and there's a lot of counseling at schools themselves. And within four days, a counselor came to us saying, there's really a problem with Pepin because he won't follow orders or directions. And of course, there was a little bit of a language barrier in the beginning. They already were taught English in the Netherlands, but English one-on-one from a person that also speaks Dutch is (laughs) totally different than being surrounded with, you know, little American kids that only will speak English. But where my daughter would just copy behavior of other kids, thinking, you know, everybody's getting out the yellow folder. I will take out the yellow folder. folder. My son thought it was the perfect excuse to, you know, use his pencil to uh, play a Harry Potter kind of game in the classroom. And rules and regulations are a little bit more strict in uh, the elementary school in Kansas, where we were, than compared to the Netherlands. So... There was a problem and within four days they approached us saying, you know, we recognize some things. He might be, you know, on the autistic spectrum. We want you to get him diagnosed. Uh, and they saw send us to uh, KU, uh, Kansas University. So we already kind of knew there was something going on. But it wasn't until we moved to the States that somebody recognized what was going on. Uh, saw the problems that came with it and uh, guided us in the right direction, really. But to come back to, uh, you know, an earlier uh, statement of, you know, a lot of times people already noticed there's something wrong. Until he went to school, we never saw a problem. He was a sweet kid, had a lot of fantasy, was really social. Yes, his... His language wasn't really developed like most kids. So, uh, but he had his fantasy language and he was figuring it out. And we thought, we really generally believed, you know, not every kid develops on the same speed or level. And he was really smart in some ways and in other ways a little bit slower. And that's totally normal. But until he went to kindergarten, there was never an issue. With our Supergirl, it was a little bit different because our daughter has juvenile arthritis. And when a four or five, five-year-old girl complains about, you know, uh, pain in, in her ankle or in her knee, you don't think, well, that might be arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis because it's a four or five-year-old girl. We discovered it with her. Uh, in the Netherlands, you, you go to a, yeah, like a school nurse. Really, and once every so many years, there are s- certain tests. And she flunked her eye test, and not just a little bit, but they 
redid it and redid it. And we got a comment saying, well, she flunked last year as well. But this year, you know, she's a little bit older. And last year, you know, she was just a, a four-year-old stubborn little feisty girl. She should behave better now. And she really, she really keeps saying she, she doesn't see things. And I remember thinking, oh, but we're, we're moving to Kansas in a month. Will they have nice glasses in Kansas? I was really concerned about, you know, will there be cool eyewear for kids, young kids in Kansas? Oh, how little did I know. Uh, so a month before we went to Kansas, uh, they sent us to uh, RGP and he said, you know, I will make an emergency call to the hospital so you can go in earlier because you're moving. We went and before you see the doctor, there's first this assistant running all these tests and she checked her and within a minute she said, please follow me. And I remember there was this waiting room full of people and she just rushed her smile, went straight to the doctor's office saying, you need to see her now. And he did some tests and apparently you didn't see it, but her eye was kind of blurry. It's like a windshield of your car, you know, and it, it kind of can get frosted in the winter or really moisty and you can't see. Her left eye, her uh, the black part of her eye was, yeah, half of it was kind of covered, but you didn't see it. There were no complaints. There was no... And they started uh, treatment right away uh, with antibiotics, but had to run more tests. But, you know, we were going to do this test, so they just gave us a lot of meds. And a day before we went up uh, in the air, we had to uh, come back. There was no improvement, and they gave us the assignment. The first thing you do when you go to the States is seeing a doctor. You have to find an eye specialist. That's how we hopped on the plane. She was five years old. So we never saw. So she has juvenile arthritis, but our daughter also has uh, uveitis. It's an autoimmune disease on her eyes. That's how we started her journey, really. We went to the States, and within a week, we were blessed enough uh, for the international officers. They had kind of, you know, an office that helped you with housing and you know how how payments went for 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 electric bills and things like that because it is quite different than the Netherlands and how you had to get your international license and things like that but there was also a lady that immediately knew which hospital we should go to she made the appointments for us we went there this was her second week in the states and i still remember to this day that the front desk girl or lady asked, oh, you're just new, you just moved here. I'm so sorry. This is how you have to get acquainted to, to the States. This is yeah, your first experience with the States. It was so nice of her. But we still had no idea. And uh, in Kansas, there is Children's Mercy. It's one of the best uh, children's hospitals in the States. And we had Dr. Hawk, 
she saw the severity of her eye disease. And I remember ask, uh, that she asked, you know, is there any in your family, anybody with an autoimmune disease, uh, uh, eye problems, rheumatoid arthritis? And we even parked that idea because we're like, well, yeah, we have older people in the family. But And the doctor said that because, you know, she said autoimmune diseases rarely come by themselves. They all, most of the time travel in pairs or, or trees. We started the therapy. Uh, well, therapy, uh, again, a lot of medication, but <laughs> way worse. And they even f- uh, were afraid of her eyesight at that moment. But she had a lot of prednisone and uh, it helped. But the moment we lowered the dose, uh, the Inflammation in her eyes came back. That's the point that they sent us to a rheumatoid arthritis specialist. And we didn't know, but a lot of kids with uveitis apparently also have rheumatoid arthritis. And that doctor said, well, didn't she ever complain about pain or things like that? But we had a really, really active little girl. And also a really stubborn active little girl. So she walked the moment she could sit she was already kind of trying to walk uh, she was we thought too impatient for crawling uh, we now think it's probably because her knees didn't work well but uh, but she was feisty and uh, the spirit in that little girl so she just tried everything and what both her doctors said she probably because she was so young didn't know any different so her eye disease in kids when you're an adult it shows if you have an uh, uveitis because you have a red eye or pain or anything and you notice that your vision goes back but if you're a young girl you don't know what normal is so uh, i remember when we got the diagnosis they said to uh, she said well mom i can remember and she had her eyes for her eyes, her arms spread wide. She said, when I was young, <laughs> she said that once she was five, I could see everything and she, she, she spread her arms. And then she brought her arms together way more uh, close to each other. And she said, and now I can only see this. And we were <laughs> horrified. And the doctor reassured us saying, you couldn't have known because it's, there's no pain. You can't see it uh, from the outside. So there's no way you could have known. But it's rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, our daughter, like I said, was really active. So she loved to cycle and then went to ballet class on her bike. And if she then couldn't make it all through uh, the ballet class, that wasn't really surprising because she would cycle for, you know, almost two miles uh, after school. Uh, and then... Uh, had ballet classes for an hour and a half. So that was quite intense. And with Pepin, or Wonder Boy, we noticed that he had a lot of, uh, when he got bigger, uh, growing pains. Uh, at least that's how we call it in the Netherlands, that, you, you know, you grow so fast that your muscles actually can hurt. So when she complained about pain, we would just assume, you know, that's growing pains uh, we had them as a kid uh, her brother had them uh, quite severe uh, so we didn't think anything of it but it turned out that she uh, already had inflammation in her ankle in her in her fingers 
associate rheumatoid arthritis. You have so many people saying that they had, uh, that they knew something was wrong from the early stages on, and that they had to fight the system to get help, and often had to fight the family, uh, their extended family as well. And at least we recognized the last part, but we never had any idea that there was something wrong with our kids. And luckily enough, we were in the States when, you know, we all got, yeah, all hell would break loose. I won't say that, but we got a diagnosis and everything started, uh, you know, the life as we know it now started with all the help and medication and guidance. And being in the States was actually nice. The healthcare in the Netherlands is great, but uh, I... Uh, uh, stopped my job, my professional job, because, you know, I, I came to the States with my husband. I picked up volunteer work uh, in my profession, but uh, I had all the time in the world for my kids. And because my son in the beginning didn't have an IEP, uh, I had to be there in the mornings to help him in a class and to support the teacher. And this was the first time I realized what... It wasn't just not paying attention or anything. The problem was way, way severe because he would just literally tune out and be in his own fantasy world and, and you know, started doing what he enjoyed. And um, our daughter, when she just got the diagnosed with her eyes and it was really severe, she had to go to the hospital a lot. We had a lot of treatments trying to yeah, prevent her really from losing eyesight. And she had to start on uh, what you would say now, a biological uh, medication or even a, a, a med before that, uh, methotrexate. And uh, that has to be monitored a lot, uh, especially in the beginning uh, when you're trying to get the inflammation down and see how her body reacts on medication. And she was on prednisone for like half a year. So the first year of photos of the States, we can hardly watch them because she looks like this yeah we call them a michelin little guy you, you saw that that that's it was this iconic white little doll made of tires from the, the brand michelin and she was this little blown up girl uh, because of the prednisone but the guidance was great when we uh, went to KU for my son's diagnosis, uh, and you know, we didn't know what was going to come out of it, but they really took the time to listen to us and observe us and then observe the, uh, our son. And we're really nice and not judgmental or anything because a lot of people are, you know, afraid of judgment, of, of that they didn't see something or didn't do the right thing, nothing like that. Uh, so he got diagnosed and because of that, uh, he got extra help at school and the classes were way smaller in Kansas than in the Netherlands. So that was a big bonus as well. Uh, he got the help the moment we got his IEP in chair or got the diagnose. The IEP uh, was created and it made a world of difference. And for our daughter, you know, we were in a great hospital. There was a lot of help. And of course it was heavy because suddenly you had two kids with a lot of problems. Uh, 
that needed you know guidance and help and and, and medication and what i just said uh, uh, we didn't have to fight the system uh, and we didn't know there was something wrong but we did have to fight the family and friends that people were like isn't this aren't you overbearing do they really need all that medication you know our daughter uh Later on, we realized if we would go to the zoo or, you know, just a day out with family, I would carry her at a certain moment because she would say that her legs didn't work anymore or she was just too tired. And I know I'm an overprotective mom, but they would just say, you know, you're just way too nice for your kids and she just needs to walk. And they would continue saying that even when the, the diagnosis was there. They just also didn't know what it really was and what it really was about. So it was a process for them too. But the help in, in, in America was great. And then we moved back to the Netherlands and some of the problems started all over again because Pepin's meds were not available in the Netherlands. So we had to switch. And then you have to start the elimination process of the drugs all over again. So you start with Ritalin we already knew that didn't work and go on to the next medication. It's kind of the same routine as in the States. You start with the most known meds because they're the most tested. Results are clear of those medication and then you go just you know, follow a certain uh, checklist. If this, isn't, this doesn't work, you go to the next, etc., etc. And we had to just redo that in the Netherlands. And we were like, but we can prove that it did work in the States. Well, different healthcare. Well, they just wanted Dutch proof, really. Uh, and for our daughter, we went from an academic hospital to a, a hospital, a local hospital. And the difference couldn't have been bigger. Because now she was just treated at the rheumatoid arthritis facility. We were closing the, the age gap there because she was this, this nine-year-old girl at the time. And you had people that were 80 years. There, there was no extensive knowledge like in KU. And we just switched a couple of years ago to an academic children's hospital. Uh, and it had the same brilliant care as in the States. So it's really funny that some things can be... Healthcare, both countries is great, but still there are sometimes differences or they want their own proof and they don't rely on the database of another country in like, really? We're, we're, <laughs> we're not coming from some, some medicine doctor or something, not some, some food doctor or anything. We, we came from a, a, a well-known, respected hospital and now we had to prove everything all over again. Uh, and then you can see that uh, the American school was way more strict. There are more gui uh, guidelines in, in schools. And that's really helpful if you have an autistic wonder boy. Because it's more calm and it's more clear. So that was a challenge in the Netherlands. Uh, so we had a diagnosis. We had the meds in place. But that didn't mean that we're... You know, we're settled and we were okay with it. We still had our challenges with what sometimes family and friends because our son is so social and so nice. A lot of people say, but your son is not autistic. He's way too social for that. <laughs> There's not one type of 
being autistic. So we still often to this day have problems with people that refuse to believe it. Like we just want to make something up or something. And with our daughter the same that uh, she has a wheelchair. And even our our parents or families like, well, ah, come on, you have young legs, just... Yeah, but she, she needs the wheelchair on a day out. Yeah, no, so she can rest in between. So you still are, even to this day, sometimes need to convince, well, have the feeling you need to convince people. And that's a bonus if you're a little bit longer in the journey. And you know what's right for your kid or not. Uh, you stand up for your kid and for yourself a little bit more. Uh, nowadays we just don't accept the crap or we will politely say well thank you for your advice and go to a, a different subject it doesn't mean that we're still you know sometimes not uh, hurt or struggle with the diagnosis when our son he was in a normal uh, elementary school and then he had to go to high school but a regular high school was too much for him so he had to go to a special needs high school and to be honest i had a hard time dealing with that uh, also because in the netherlands you have different levels of high school and he went to a lower level of high school uh, well here's our little professor so yeah it was yeah a lower level than than i went to and my husband and i kind of yeah felt that that was not okay and you know he was that little professor and he was so smart uh and then i talked to a high school principal and he said yeah but we often see that that those really smart autistic kids go to a lower level high school especially in the beginning because life is too overwhelming still but also remember that uh we ask for a simple solution. You get a, you have a question in a, you have a math problem. They just have to come up with a simple solution. A lot of autistic kids, and our son is a perfect example of that, can't come up with simple solutions. And when he said that, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, we have those state tests here every year. They they, they test, you know. Uh, where you are at, at, at um, math and, and language and spelling skills, grammar skills and uh, developmental skills. And one of those questions my son got when he was in second grade was, which of the following four don't belong in this group? An airplane, a truck, a bus and a car. And you would think the answer is... An airplane because the rest is on the road and that's the only one in the sky and our son said well a truck because that's for uh for products and packages and the rest is for people and that's a perfect example that you know that was not the wrong answer but that was not what they were looking for and till this day he can't if a, a simple question is asked he can't believe that it can be that simple he will always think further along come up with different solutions uh, if he can he will try to fix the world economics at the same time 
So we went to high school, special needs high school. And thank God I had a husband, still have a husband next to me that he said, you know, it will be okay. He has his own journey and it will may take him a little bit longer. But at least here the classes are smaller. And my, my son was so happy that the classes were smaller. This year he just started college uh, a week ago. And he introduced himself in the class saying, well... Guys, girls, I'm Pepin. Uh, I went to that and that high school. You know, that's that school full of uh, autistic uh, kids and uh, kids with Down syndrome. Well, I'm one of them. And by the way, I play with, I love Legos and Minecraft. And uh, that sounds childish, but, uh, you know, that's who I am. And he came home saying, you know, mom, I just made a joke uh, so that they didn't have to joke about it. And, you know, they're like, well, okay. <laughs> they they, they didn't, almost didn't know how to respond because normally they would maybe make a joke about it. But now he already did that for them. So I, I was so proud when he came home and told me that. And for our girl, yeah, she is now in third, yeah, we call it third grade high school because we sound start counting again the moment you go to high school uh, so she's almost 15 but uh, elementary school is still quite small you can just take her home if she can't make it there's no no extra paperwork uh, it's quite easy to go through the system and you kind of make it in the end high school is different if you can't go uh, do uh, you know gymnastics or anything you have to have a letter from the doctor saying why you can't do that class because it's an official part of your uh, curriculum at the end. Um, whether you go, you know, specialize in languages or specialize in science and everything, gym is a part of your exam or your curriculum. And she uh, has to have a, yeah, a pass and has to do a, kind of a substitute subject. So she will have to write a paper about it. And a lot of teachers didn't get that long days of eight hours. She can't make it. So she has to go home earlier, uh, has to be picked up. And everybody's like, well, why don't you... you no, know, she can take the bus. In the Netherlands, there's no bus, school bus system as in, in America. Uh, most kids go on a bike, even if it's like six miles or, or more. On bad days, of course, our uh, Supergirl can't do that. So I will, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, I've got my own business. I work from home. I can drive her, pick her up. Uh, but even then, sometimes days are too long. So she has, uh, she can, she's allowed to follow a little bit less classes. Uh, but before COVID-19... It was really hard to, you know, if she had to redo a test or online schooling, it was all not possible. <laughs> well, I see the positive side effect of COVID-19 is there's no way on earth they're going to take that homeschool learning away from her. Because for the first time ever, she was allowed to do extra tests from home because all the other kids had to do kind of the same thing. So they're kind of both now in a good place. Uh, what I did miss, do miss still, is in America, 
uh, on, in Fort Leavenworth, there was a support group for special needs parents. All kinds of. It was just whether you had a kid with ADHD or you had a kid with, you know, uh, uh, with Down syndrome or anything. Uh, so you had moms with all kinds of challenges or kids with all kinds of challenges. But there was this one support group and we kind of understood each other because we all had to go through those daily challenges really with our kids and uh, sometimes finding the school system and uh, exchanging IEP stories and everything and when I came back to the Netherlands you know there's a lot of support groups uh, sometimes for kids especially if they are into sports and both my kids well you've not tried this and sports is not really a great match and my son <laughs> you know he he, he he can't do uh, team sports. It's way too complicated. Uh, and he likes to be at home, uh, which totally is totally fine with us. But there are support groups for kids. For parents, yes and no. It's way more, you know, there's a support group if you want to learn a certain trick. Uh, but there's not an, you know, like a just a chat group where you can just have a cup of coffee and just... <sighs> cry or laugh or you know support each other fence if you're angry uh, this is one of the reasons really why i started my own podcast because i missed that great group it was called a soft place to land and Sally augustine who was on my podcast uh, i think on episode seven uh, started that in in kansas so I met a few women now, but I still miss that, that great Kansas feeling. So I hope this podcast, you know, if you're out there and you live somewhere, maybe rural or you just started this journey and you don't have this support group uh, of actual women, I hope this podcast can be, you know, and I can be kind of your, your hangout and your tribe. And what I also want to, to tell you so we're now our oldest being 16 and our youngest being 14 so we're now in this journey like for around nine years nine or ten years and uh, in the beginning you're overwhelmed with the diagnose and there are so many uh, therapies and, and, and counselors and whatever and what you learn when you're a little bit longer in this game is that your kid doesn't have to do all the therapies that are out there or doesn't have to go to all the support groups that are there for him or her uh, because uh, no matter the di diagnosis uh, every kid is different so needs are different as well uh, our son really really needs downtime if he went to uh, had a day in school he just needs to be able to sit at home, watch some telly or play some, not even Minecraft because his mind is too full at that moment. Uh, but he just needs to unwind. And I knew a lot of moms in the beginning saying, you know, well, our kid goes to this after school program specifically for autistic kids because they will guide him. But for our son, it was not, especially just right out of school. It's not the, 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 
that he needs extra friends or anything. He just needed to unwind. And I'm so fortunate, so happy that we listened to him and that we noticed. And But that's also because we kind of know ourselves. You know, uh, me and my husband, we're also... I'm much more extraverted than my husband, but we both really like our me time, especially after busy days. Our son is just like that. So we didn't sign him up for extra uh, uh, classes or extra uh, school out-of-school activities because it was the opposite of what he needed. You know, if you see your kid and you see him struggle, there is so much out there. But also don't be afraid to say no because you're, you as a mom, even subconscious, you probably know way better what your kid needs. And of course they need support if they need to learn a certain trick or uh, if they have a speaking problem or writing uh, skills problems or son still can't write to this day and he will probably never learn that and I'm really blessed that I remember KU saying uh, when we went to uh, Kansas University and we had his diagnosis and the guy said you know it's 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 so amazing to see him read and you see his spelling you know you can Help him and sign him up for all you want. But the spelling, he won't get it. So you can learn him a few tricks. But especially for later on, what is way more important, learn him where in the Word document <laughs> the control button is so he can check his texts. Because this will always be a challenge for him. And it's true. Because of course we tried and we, of course we, we had extra, you know, challenges for him that he could write in cursive or not write in cursive or uh, extra home assignments or not extra home assignments, uh, extra spelling lessons and extra spelling lessons, nor extra spelling lessons. It, it didn't matter at all. So that professor actually, you know, he saw it early on. Uh, so yes, listen to the doctors, especially if you're lost and you don't know what to do. Uh, they know there's no one solution for all kids. So they will listen to you and listen to your kids and observe him. And especially if they have a longer relationship with your kids, uh, build a longer relationship with you, they probably know what's best and what will work and what won't work. I wanted to end this podcast with saying, don't feel bad if you don't see the signs. You know, we never did. And it turned out to be okay as well. Uh, and if you do have a diagnosis, remember to tailor the possible resources to you and your kids. There's no one size fits all therapy or help. Listen to yourself, to your gut feeling. Uh, you know, as a parent, you often know what is best. Stand up for yourself and stand up for your kids. And I truly hoped uh, sharing my journey helped you a bit. And if you have any questions, 
uh, let me know. Uh, leave it in the comments or reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook. And uh, till the next time. Bye. My fellow supermoms, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, please subscribe. Let me know what you think and tag me on Instagram at Nadine van Leer. And you might win the monthly one-hour special needs supermom coaching session. Stay sane and stay happy. Until the next glass of wine.